All right, so good morning again. We're starting now in uh, Hebrews chapter 7 this morning. Now, I want to look at just the, if you look in the workbook, at the beginning, uh, the, uh, the author of the workbook is Mark Copeland, and he's saying, resuming the discussion of Jesus as high priest. And that's because we're really, remember this is all one letter, and we're really picking up from our chapter breaks. They seem kind of arbitrary to me, and we're just picking up from the last of Hebrews 6, where he was discussing that uh, in the last two verses, let me read those here. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So there we're going to pick up in Hebrews 1, uh, chapter 7, verse 1, it says, for, <clears throat> excuse me, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. So that's how that's connected. He's still talking about that Melchizedek, and we're continuing on from there. Now, you notice also in the beginning of the workbook here, he's basically breaking this chapter up into three parts. Uh, the points to ponder are basically the same things he's talking about in the little summary up here. If you look at verses 1 through 10, it's about the superiority of Melchizedek to Abraham and thus the Levite priests. And then in the second part, verses 11 through 19, reasons why a new priest after that order was necessary, was needed. And then in verses 20 through 28, the, the third part, the greatness of Jesus as our new high priest. So, and that goes along with the points to ponder here, and then we'll get into the questions. But I want to read chapter 7 to you just uh, to make sure we're all on the same page here. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are the sons of Levi, who received the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak. 
for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident, if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect or complete. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not relent, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety or a guarantee of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost, and that just means completely or forever, those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, or innocent, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness, but the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. So here the, the Hebrew writer is making a very logical argument or discussion, proving his case in these points here. So if we look and Question number one, we've, we've kind of answered that, but what are the main points of this chapter? Change of the priesthood. Right, the, the, uh, the need for a new priesthood. That priesthood was completely different than what they had before because it was a, a man appointed to Levi tribe, and he wasn't a of the Levi tribe, Christ is of Melchizedek. And in verse 3, it says, 
he remains a priest continually. Where the uh, old priesthood, when the high priest died, they had to appoint another one. But now we don't. Right, they were human priests, and they, yeah, there's several, there's, there's several points like that being made that they were human priests, they had flaws, they had sin, they had a, a limited lifespan and did not live eternally like Jesus is our eternal priest. So, if we would go back to uh, what the old law taught, under that law, he was from the tribe of Judah, Judah and he could not have been a priest, but he was from the... Um, he was a priesthood from the priesthood of Melchizedek. Yeah, he, and he does mention that. The Hebrew writer does mention that. Is it in this chapter or the next chapter? I'm sorry, I was reading. Anyway, he does mention that at, at one point, that if that uh, Jesus would not be a priest if he was um, on earth alive. Because just like he wasn't a priest when he was on earth alive, because he was from the tribe of Judah and he was not a Levite. So that is that is a point that is made. I can't remember if it was in this uh, chapter, though, or if it's in It's in 14 of this? Okay. See, I'd already forgotten. Well, yeah, that says that. I think it's in, let me, let me look here. I think it's in chapter 8. Yeah, I'm thinking of something else where he says, well, we will get there. I'll wait there. Well, that's in the next thing. We'll look at that. That's in chapter 8. I won't, I won't jump ahead like that. So anyway, though, so the main points of the chapter that we were trying to get at here um, are really basically the points that, that are mentioned in the review and in the points to ponder uh, the superiority of male Kizedek to Abraham, just that the uh, the greater always blesses the lesser. Um, the need for the new priesthood and the greatness of Jesus and his his eternal priesthood. Question number two: Where in the Old Testament can we read about Melchizedek? Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 through 20. Right. There's those two verses there. And then, now, excluding Hebrews, there's those verses there, or three verses. I think I just said two, but there's three verses. And then uh, in Psalm 110, verse 4, which was quoted in the scripture we read here. Um and this here in Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 through 20. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high, and he blessed him, meaning Abraham. Well, I think he was Abram then, because he says, and blessed be, no, he said, I'm sorry. <clears throat> he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. So that was Abraham gave Melchizedek a tithe of all. 
And then, of course, like I said, Psalm 110.4 was, was quoted in the scripture, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So for me, Melchizedek for a long time was kind of this just mystery figure and still in a lot of ways is. I don't really know a lot about him other than what's here. Yes. And at this, uh, later on in this chapter 7, it speaks of um, the tribe of Levi and Abraham. Before uh, Levi was born, Melchizedek was a priest. So the tribe of Levi had not had the priesthood yet. Right. And there was no law yet. This is back. This predates all of that. This is there's no law yet. And yet this Melchizedek is clearly stated as a priest of God most high. So he was a priest of God. It's hard for me to understand that verse three. It's very difficult. Verse three. Well, we don't know any of these things. We don't know his father, his mother. We don't know his genealogy. And they were very big on genealogy. And only the Levites, now this is after the law, right? Only the Levites could really be a priest for them in, in their, what do you call it, in their way, uh, in, under the law with Israel. So... I think the fact that the last part of that says that he was like the Son of God, and then it goes on to say he remained the priest continually. Right. I'm, it says, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Again, I don't know enough about Melchizedek, and I'm not sure how, but we know that Jesus remains a priest continually. And then in the first verse, it talks about him being king of Salem, and that, I think, is Jerusalem. That, that was. That was. That was. Jerusalem before it was Jerusalem, I guess, is the best way to say it. He, but he was the king of Salem, which became Jerusalem. So that's the holy city of David. Right. Right. But at that time, it wasn't, because David wasn't. Right. But, but that's, yeah. Historically, that Salem became Jerusalem. But he was also the king of Salem, as well as being the priest of the Most High God. So, like I said, I there's there's a lot about him that is unknown. It's just kind of to me, it's kind of you know a little bit of a mystery there. But uh, but and like I said, verse three, we really just don't know anything about him. We don't know about his father, his mother, or his genealogy. But he was. But he was living outside. It was before the law. So, All right. So question number three, what do Melchizedek and the Son of God appear to have in common? And it refers to verse three that we were just talking about. And the only, the only thing is, it depends on how you look at the Lord, Jesus, as far as, because it says both appear to be without father and mother is the comparison kind of being made. But, um, you know, if, if you look at Jesus from the, the real sense of he's divine and he was before, before he ever came to earth as a human, he already was. 
and then you could say that yeah we don't really he he appears to be without father or mother in a real spiritual sense because he was before he ever came to earth but um that may that's kind of a it kind of trips you up a little bit because we know that Mary was the mother of Jesus on earth. Yes, Jim. But that's the physical man, Jesus. Right. That's the difference. That's where we get in trouble when we try to connect the two. Jesus was before that. He was right. in the beginning with God. John said so. Right. And he was there in the creation. We we don't want to confuse the two issues here. Right. Because Melchizedek was a man, right? I mean, he would have really had, just because we didn't know it, doesn't mean he didn't have a mother and father and all. But the Lord was before, was before everything and would have, you know, would not have. But anyway, um, that is the comparison that they, they're getting at there. And that does sound a little confusing, a little off because it says that about mother, but he's not really talking about Jesus the man so much in that sense. He's talking about the genealogy. The genealogy? Yeah, we don't. We don't know the genealogy. Well, we do, but... We don't know Melchizedek's genealogy. Yeah. And we know Jesus's earthly human genealogy, but not. Yes? But this says Melchizedek was without genealogy. We right. don't know the origin other than he was a representative of God. Right. We just know so he was there. We don't need to read more into the scripture than what it says. No. Okay. All right. Does anybody else have anything on that? Yes. Right. So Melchizedek Well, yeah, we know that he was the priest. He was above Abraham. He was the greater in this instance, in this thing. Um, all right. So question number four which gets into that, why is Melchizedek greater than both Abraham and Levi? Right. Pain ties. In a sense, Levi is still inside Abraham because he hasn't been born yet. Right. Both of those guys are paying ties to Melchizedek. Right. And he also mentions that the greater blesses the lesser. So when Melchizedek blessed Abraham, which Abraham, and especially in the Jewish law, they always think of Abraham as being the great, you know, precursor, the great ancestor, because he was the one with the promise from God. Yes. If you go back to Genesis 14, 
Okay. 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 That's all right. So, um, so yeah. So Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, and Melchizedek blessed Abraham, showing that he was the greater in this instance in this meeting. And you notice they had kind of a communion. They they broke out the uh, bread and the wine. Just something of interest to note there, but. Uh, All right, so question number five. Why was there a need for a change in the priesthood? The law was not perfect, man couldn't keep it. The law was not perfect. The uh, perfection did not come through the law, right? Well, no, the Le and the Levite priests were not perfect either. And it says, it says that the uh, in verse eleven, which they're making a reference to, therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, you know, what further need was there for another priest? So, and uh, so the law did not create or make everything perfect. It did not complete everything. Does anyone have anything else on that? Yes. He, throughout the book of Hebrews, he's wanting them to see that Jesus uh, is the beginning of a better law. Mm -hmm. Why do you want to go back to one that wasn't adequate? Jesus is a better high priest than what you had under the belief. So as we go through these chapters, we're going to see the superiority of Christ and what he has done and is doing than what they had. So why would you give this up? Right, right. And, this, and that, is, that is the point in this chapter coming down is that Jesus is the better high priest and this is the better covenant. That is, I mean, that's two of the points that, that we mentioned early on. But yeah, definitely. And why would you give it up? Why would you go back? I mean, again, we've got to remember the audience is Hebrews. These are Jewish people. And the writer does not want them to revert back to Judaism, to, to walk away from Christ. You know, that's why he's presenting this logical case of how this is, of how the new covenant is and how that is better. So you want to have anything else? All right. So question number six, what was required for there to be a change in the priesthood? And it's referring to verses 12 and 18, if you want to look at that. The law needed to be changed. Right. The law needed to be changed, and matter of fact, I think uh, I think it's verse eighteen. 
where it says it needs to be annulled. I think of it as being completed, yeah. So for, on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness because the law made nothing perfect. So um, so it needed to be annulled. I think of it as uh, being completed or finished the way, you know, the way we think of Jesus finished the old covenant. He really ended and completed that. It completed its purpose. Plain simple truth is, once Jesus rose from the dead, he was to die no more, so he could be priest forever. Right. For all the other priests before him would die and stay dead. You know, they, they didn't raise to eternal life like Jesus did. So Jesus could was well qualified to be a priest forever. Right. Once Jesus rose again, he... He became our eternal priest forever, and that made him better than these other human priests who did who did die. They did pass away, and that's why there were multiple priests. But here we have Jesus coming along, being the one eternal priest, priest for us, unchangeable. Yes. And we must remember at that point when he rose from the dead, he went well. There was a period of time before he ascended back to the Father, but oh, yeah. he became our uh, high priest at that point. He makes intercession for us now. Right. Like under the Levitical priesthood, they made intercession by offering uh, the sacrifice. Jesus offered the sacrifice. Now he's interceding for us from now on. If we Right. Yeah, Jesus has made that one sacrifice also, as well as him being an eternal priest for us, he did make that one perfect sacrifice that is also eternal. There's no need for any further sacrifices. You know, in the Bible, it's divided in the Old and the New Testament. <clears throat> and so when we make up a will, it's like our testament. And if we want to change it, we can, and then it becomes a new one. And so the old one's done away. And so we have to go with that will, that, the second one, because it's enforced now, because we said so. And so God is in control, and he said so. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we make we change our, our testament, our will and testament, and it, we make a new one. And the new one is what's enforced. The old one goes away. Yeah, that's a similarity. That's a legal similarity, but still, that's, yeah. So, question number seven. What evidence is there that the law has been changed? And you can look at verses 13 through 17 if you want. Right. Right. Jesus is from the tribe of Judah, who, again, like we had said before, if he was, you know, a priest on earth, he would not be a priest. That sounds wrong. Anyway, you get the idea. If he was just a person from the tribe of Judah, of course, he could not be a priest. But he is from the tribe of Judah, so he's not from Levi. 
but he is our high priest in that order as Melchizedek. And also, you know, Jesus has, he is an eternal priest. He is, uh, he has the power of endless life. So there's there's that as well, and there's not multiple sacrifices being made because he made that one eternal sacrifice. So we're kind of going back to things we already discussed, but that is part of the, the evidence as well. So if we look at question number eight, it says list some of the qualities of Jesus' priesthood. And again, because of all the things we've talked about, we've talked about some of these. But uh, does anybody want to mention some of these? Uh, okay, so Jesus, as we've, as we've mentioned, he always lives to make intercession for us. Through him, we have the guarantee that's what the word surety means. We have a guarantee, like, I guarantee you there's oxygen in this room. Whether you see it, know it, and understand it, there is, or we would all be passing out and dying, right? So that's that kind of guarantee that this is a new and better covenant. Even if we don't totally understand it all the time and don't totally get it, this is a guarantee of a better covenant. Um, Jesus as our priest... Um, is holy and innocent and undefiled and separate from sinners. He has an unchangeable, eternal priesthood. He offered up himself as that sacrifice, that one eternal sacrifice, once and for all. And he is able to save completely and eternally. and has been perfected forever. He is the one perfect person and the one perfect priest. Yes? Um, one of the verses that go along with what we're talking about is uh, the taking away of the old law, Colossians 2.14. Having wiped out the handwriting and requirements oh, yeah. against us, Contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to his cross. Right. Yeah, Jesus took away the requirements that were against us and uh, nailed that to the cross. That's that's in Colossians 2.14, right? I hit the wrong thing there. The problem with using your finger as a pointer on these is just not always the best. All right. So yes, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public, a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. 
So he, he broke the, the power of these principalities. He broke the power of them and disarmed them. That's why a lot of times I, I will say that, uh, you know, our biggest problem is really ourselves because he really broke the power of Satan and the forces of darkness over us. They don't, they don't really have any power over us other than to just tempt us. All right. So does anybody have anything else on that? Oh, I'm sorry. I think we have run over our time, haven't we? All right. So that is chapter 7, and we'll pick up and start with chapter 8 next week. Thank you for your time and your attention.